Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Episode 4 of Speaking of Everything, the podcast where sports, politics, journalism, and music intersect in interesting ways. I'm your host, Doug Farrar of USA Today's Sports Media Group and the author of The Genius of Desperation. Today I speak of everything with George Atala, the Assistant Executive Director of External Affairs for the NFL Players Association. George and I discuss the unique mechanisms of putting a season on in the middle of a pandemic, how the union and the league are still trying to come together on everything from testing protocols to worst-case scenarios, how the union can audit a series of team doctors when the NFL's history of player safety has been less than optimal, what the union is still waiting to hear from the NFL as training camps get underway, and why now is the time for players to be socially active as they have never been before. Follow George on Twitter at George Atala, A-T-A-L-L-A-H, and keep up with the union's progress in these matters at NFLPA.com. Without further ado, let's get rolling with episode four of Speaking of Everything. So, George, I want to start with, and there's a lot to get to here. Uh, certainly, it's been a busy uh, week for you guys. Um, regarding the We Want to Play Twitter campaign, which had just about every every major NFL player on social media asking if the NFL come to some sort of conclusion on the details of the season. And I found this interesting. Listen to its own medical experts. It's like, that was a... Uh-huh. Um, how much do you think that created action on the NFL's part? Well, I think anytime players stand up and speak out, it it's going to resonate in the league office and with NFL owners. The whole point of being a union and having a union behind you is that its members have to show solidarity and take action. And I think what you saw on Sunday, where I think last we checked more than 400 players were engaged in that, in that campaign, which by the way, they started on their own. Yeah. I was going to ask that if the NFLP was involved at all. Yeah. We, you know, JC Treader was part of that group and certainly he and I had had conversations about striking the right tone and being accurate with our messaging because you do, Facts do matter still. Um, (laughs) How dare you? (laughs) I know. Um, I'm boycotting. You know, I think. Yeah, I think. I think being grounded in the facts, being grounded in a united message, I think that certainly sent sent across the you know the idea that we weren't going to back down off of the basic health and safety demands that we had asked for. And to your point, it wasn't even the, what we had asked for. These are not like the unions or Dr. Mayer's or Mark Verstegen's recommendations. Back in March and April, we convened a joint task force that was looking at all of these issues. And they were the ones that came up with the protocols, which we um, you know, have mostly agreed to at this point. So it's not the union saying, we don't want to do this or we want to do that. Uh, these are recommendations taken by experts that we jointly um, commissioned to get this thing done. So when you have that many players saying, listen, NFL, listen to your own medical experts on Sunday, what precisely did that mean? Because that indicated 
kind of a log jam between, you know, one side and another. And there are multiple sides here. It's not just you guys and the NFL. It's, you know, medical experts and teams and blah, blah, blah. But on Sunday, when you have that many players saying the same thing, listen to your own medical experts, NFL, what did that mean at that time? It meant acclimation period, making sure that players had the right ramp-up period when they show up training camp. So, you know, you and I are mere mortals I certainly have not kept up with a regular workout routine. And now when I try to do anything, you know, exerting (laughs) uh, physical exercise, I wind up, you know, feeling sore the next day. Well, imagine if you're a professional athlete who's fine tuned in a way that we can only, you know, imagine or dream of being fine tuned, making sure that they don't go from zero to 60 overnight. I think that's a huge, huge thing. Um, and the data that we have from the 2011 lockout season is that there were a spike in serious injuries, Achilles tears, hamstring strains, calf injuries, and, and the sort, because we didn't have an acclimation period or a ramp up period that was, uh, normal. So that was the first thing. And, and oh, by the way, we're still not there yet. Right. Um, the second thing on the medical issue related to coronavirus testing, daily testing, Imagine that. Uh, what, I know what you guys. You guys all said on last Friday's call that that was a big deal. And the NFL at that point was like every other day. So you got you, uh, at some. When did that come together? I think it came together on Sunday. Okay. And you know, and again, Doug, let's frame this the right way. These are the things that were designed at a standard to keep everybody safe. We can't. We can't pretend like we're somehow going to cheat our way out of um, the virus being present. We can't pretend like there's some magic element to making the virus disappear by July 28th. And so the standards that we were pushing for were standards recommended by medical experts and scientists and researchers that we wanted adopted as just a basic way to get going. I mean, our guys want to get going. So that's, that's where I think the thing came out of it was we were tired of not getting answers. All of these things, frankly, should have been implemented a month ago. And we're on the cusp of having our most vulnerable group of players report, AKA rookies um, to camp. And some of the things that were critical to running a safe workplace were not implemented yet. That's what you saw. So there are reports all over the place. I want to get some clarity on it. So daily testing is in. Is that correct? Daily testing is done? Yeah, until, yeah, until, until we meet a threshold of below X percent, and then we go to every other day. Okay. Um, no preseason is done? No preseason is just about done. Yep. They, they offered that to us uh, last night. <laughs> for, for those uh, listening on audio, George did air quotes around offering. Um, yeah. <laughs> what are the sticking points now? I mean, I assume opt-out language is still a sticking point. I assume, you know, revenue has got to be a big fat elephant in the room. What, what are the sticking points right now? Yeah, I think, I think we still have a long way to go on economics. And, and that means what happens to the salary cap next year and beyond. And, you know, Doug, you were on the call that, that DeMorris and JC hosted last week with members of the PFWA where they were very candid about 
how our economic system works. We have a revenue share deal. We get 48% of revenues. And if we somehow miss our revenue targets, well, everybody gets impacted in the following year. If we outperform our revenue targets, everybody reaps the benefits. So that's, you know, in a nutshell, how our system works year over year. That's how the salary cap is calculated and benefits and the like. So we fully expect there to be, like every business in America, a revenue shortfall for the 2021, uh, 2020-21 season. How we work that out is a big, big issue that we're nowhere near resolution on. So that's a big issue. Is it, does it make the most sense to punt that over the next few, like if, if you have a, I don't know, it's, you know, say it's a $12 billion a year industry uh, on standard and you have a 4 billion shortfall, does it make sense? Okay, guys, we have a CBA for X number of years. We're just going to punt it over all those years and lessen the, the damage in one year. That's certainly our preference. And our preference is we have a long-term deal. Yes, coronavirus is going to, you know, have a massive impact on our business. But over the long term, we've got new TV deals on the horizon. We've got expanded playoffs, which will generate more revenue. And we have the potential of a 17th game, which also means a lot of money coming everybody's way. So there are, you know, temporary dips. But over the long term, business of the NFL is not going to not going to hurt. Uh, so our plan is to, you know, our recommendation is to spread that out over the long term, uh, which seems to make the most sense. It, it certainly protects players from any one year shortfall, because, as you know, our guys play for for less than four years. So losing that money over one year makes a much bigger impact to our guys than it does for the owners. Common fan response to the articles that have come out uh, of the conference call and all this other stuff, and it's a valid point. I know it has to be frustration for you, is they've had months to figure this all out. They've watched MLB. They've watched NBA. Why the hell are these things just now being discussed? Yeah, I think think it's easy to come up with fast answers. It's really hard to come up with the best answers. And we have held our ground on some of the things that you talked about. So. Could we have agreed to once a week testing a month ago? Yeah, we could have. We could have easily said these are the protocols that we agree to, and it's going to be testing on a once a week basis. Would that have kept our players safe? No. And those are the types of decisions that our union leadership and primarily the executive committee of of active NFL players those are the decisions that they have to weigh and make um, and have been making over the course of the last several months. They have to make tough calls of, yes, of course, I can't tell you, for example, right now when you're going to have to report or what training camp is going to look like. But if you just hang tight, we're going to be in a position to keep you safer and have a better answer for you than just agreeing to whatever they put in front of us now. As we learned in 2011, deadlines spur action. They do. And this is a little bit trickier because, again, of course, (laughs) yeah. I mean, you know, none of us could have, you know, in fairness, we did talk about economic downturn um, in general. 
but then, you know, obviously in March, the national shutdown, um, accelerated and cratered that far worse than anybody could have imagined. And it's, I mean, it's hard to imagine that the pandemic would have been handled as miserably as it has been in America. Uh, you know, not, I'm not trying to veer off on another subject and, you know, do that. Oh, I'm happy to talk about that too. Um, but I mean, let's say in May, nobody could have foreseen this. No, I mean, as much as we know about what's going on in, in DC, you would have had to have been the most ardent anti-Trump guy to, to, you know, just, he's going to screw it up to this point. We're going to have spikes in late July, and this is where we're going to be. It's really hard to estimate for that. Yeah, with with one exception, I think convening the joint task force actually contemplated that we would be in a place that we are today. Yeah. And, and part of, look, let's look at this as a, as a very personalized thing. You and I have to make decisions about what we do every single day, almost on our own, because we don't have a federal standard for how we're fighting the coronavirus. And so when you and I wake up and we put a mask on and we go outside and we wash our hands, it's almost like we're leaning too heavily on the side of personal responsibility as opposed to, okay, this is what the medical experts say we should have whatever it was worn a mask a month ago and that would have helped stop transmission. Unfortunately, businesses are kind of left to their own devices to come up with protocols, which are um, in, in many cases safer than what the States are saying. Yeah. And, and that's the position. Well, we pretty low bar there, George. <laughs> I'm just, I'm just saying like, Look, Doug, Houston, Miami. I mean, you know, for those of you who are interested in, in the data, we put up a, a local um, heat map on our website that shows where cities are spiking and how that impacts players in our league. It's a big, big concern for us because again, you know, not to, not to oversound bite this, but football's going to go the way of the country. Mm-hmm. If, if Florida shuts down or if Texas shuts down or if California shuts down, we're not going to, put you know there's gonna be no football simple as that what would your response be to those fans and this when it came out you know the nfl has this company doing all the tests and they're going to be retrofit and all the facilities and peter king had a great article on monday um about how the vikings are doing it very detailed um and fans are saying it's unfair that nfl players and staff will get this testing at this frequency and response rate, it should be happening for everyone in America. You guys, I mean, you've heard this, you guys are hoarding all the, you know, what is your response to that? We agree. But we also think it's important for, again, a, a federal plan to get communities, the resources and the, and the, and the, you know, PPEs and the testing that they need. So, look, we are not immune from um, the impact of the of the virus. We are members of this community. Our business has a big role to play, especially in team cities, not just nationally, but especially in team cities. 
And we do have concerns about that. And one of the people who was on our task force was an ethicist who talked about um, the, the conflict of having non-essential workers take resources away from people in the community. Um, at the same time, I think that is an issue that, you know, a lot of people look to sports and athletes and people to solve our, our community problems. We need to really hold our elected officials accountable to why we don't have those resources already. Yeah. Uh, going back to the Friday call, and this was something that J.C. Treader said. And J.C., for those who don't know, president of the NFLPA, also the center for the, the Cleveland Browns, and will be on Touchdown Wire's top 11 centers list tomorrow, plug, plug, um, had something really uh Interesting and disturbing to say, I'll just do a direct quote. We've had coaches come forward and talk about protocols being too much to ask. Coaches come forward and saying they think everyone is going to get sick and we'll just see how sick they get. Those attitudes can't happen because this is all of us in this together. No one can wish this away or just expect this to go away. There are consequences for getting sick. And Andrew Whitworth talked about how his whole family contracted it. Like, yep. bang, like out of nowhere. Um you factor in team doctors and the, let's just say in a, I'm going to normalize this a bit. The history of team doctors acting in the best interest of players over the hundred years of the NFL is not um, optimal. So when you have coaches talking about herd immunity and expecting 32 team doctors and their staff to adhere to the same standard, what are the NFL PAs protocols for auditing that? It, when you get into the, you know, training camp, preseason, blah, 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 day 20, you put the pads on and whatever, week two, all that stuff. Um, because you can't walk around with a camera on all these guys saying, okay, you know, Team X is not doing what Team Z is doing, so we got to deal with Team X. How, how do you possibly, with that much going on, audit it to make sure it's all working the way it should be? Well, I think, I think we rely on what we've done, um, in previous years. I mean, we have, we have board of player representatives, members on each team who know what the protocols are. We have protections in the CBA that mandate how, um, team doctors have to treat players. If those things are violated, there's a good chance we'll know and then we can take action. I mean, our, our entire, again, not to oversimplify, but, it's it's their job to administer the best possible medic, medical care to our players. It's our job to hold them accountable to the not only the standards in our CBA, but to the Hippocratic Oath and to uh, federal, state, and local medical boards. So we've done that. I think we'll continue to do that. And And there are rarely cases where we've heard of some sort of medical misconduct uh, where we haven't taken action. And I think, you know, to your point, we're going to be extra vigilant um, here over the course of the next couple months. Has the NFLPA been talking with the NBA and MLB unions at all regarding how things are going to work for their regular seasons to maybe get a head start on what the logistical issues may be? Yeah, and not only them, but um, clubs and leagues across the world. So we've been in touch with um, – the players association uh, across European soccer, whether it's the Bundesliga or the premier league. Uh, we've had good conversations with folks in Australian rules 
football uh, with various rugby associations as well. So certainly we have um, connected with sports unions across the world to try to get uh, best practices for how this is all going to play out. And I think, you know, to the extent that we can um, share those ideas and, and look at health and safety in a universal way, again, the virus is not an, just an American problem. Um, so that's how we've approached it. Certainly, and, and this is my one quip that I think you'll enjoy, certainly we've seen other countries um, resume sports faster and more normally because their leadership has gotten a grasp on it. Uh, so we're behind there, but, um, yeah, but, you know, we have collaborated across, uh, across the world and, and trying to find the best way to deal with this. Is there anything specific you learned that has helped you when putting your protocols together and discussions with the NFL side? Yes. I think the testing part really, um, really was something we were, were, strong we're feeling strongly about um that's something the premier league and and the bundesliga were um doing daily at to start their leagues up that's how they were able to isolate and trace so i think the testing protocols and the treatment protocols for athletes is something we drew from uh, other leagues it seems like based on the report, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, based on the reports I've read, it seems like the NFL is doing a soft bubble. You're not like quarantining everyone in. Players can go home and then come back. Um, what was the thought process behind that as opposed to, you know, bang, we're all on football island and that's just the way it is? Where would we do that effectively? I yeah. think it's a challenge. I think logistically it's a challenge to find – one location in the United States where you can bring in 2000 players plus, you know, everybody else that's involved in, in operating football. Um, basketball is a little different. They're smaller, obviously smaller rosters, smaller group of personnel for each club. Um, so, you know, I think that's where the one, the strength of our protocols and not compromising on the strength of our protocols is really important. Two, working closely with the states and cities to come up with the best, um, you know, come up with the best way to protect uh, uh, players and staff. And then three, there is an element of personal responsibility for, for everybody involved in our business, right? If you're a head coach, you're at risk, you, you know, make sure you wear a mask, make sure you wear your gloves. If you're a player, well, you know, for the next few months, you might, you're going to have to change your lifestyle. Um, those are the things that we all just have to accept uh, that are going to be important and necessary changes to behavior if we're going to get through a, a training camp, much less a season. Because, you know, I mean, NFL is like anything else. You have a, the, the total wide spectrum of um, personal and political thought processes, and they're probably guys in the NFL who believe that masks are evil and whatever in a plot from you know <laughs> Mars to do whatever. It's going to magically uh, disappear. Yeah. It's going to magically disappear. Yeah. Um, so you probably got, you know, X percent of guys in the NFL who believe that. And you know, that that's, that's going to be an interesting ride. 
Um, yeah, but again, that's why I think like not to not to be a broken record. Um, the protocols have to be strong, and everybody has to adhere to them. Period. So, what happens if a player does it? What happens if a player refuses to wear a mask? Still, I'm not doing it. Yeah, still working through that. Still, still have there have to be. You know, I think a lot of our player leadership uh, understands that there have to be consequences, and personal responsibility is going to be um, an important an important part of it. Uh, Molly Knight of the Athletic brought up a good point in an article that was baseball focused because um, that's what Molly does very well, but applies here. What yep. happens if a player tests positive on the road? There are, I think, from the protocols that were published yesterday. Um, there are ways, you know, I think it's, we call it the problem of the stranded player. Um, that player has to isolate. There's a way for us to get that player treatment if, um, if needed. Uh, and that's thankfully that's laid out in what we agreed to, um, last night. Uh, that player will have, you know, make sure that they have all the accommodations and, and medical care that they need in the place that they are, that they have to isolate. Does that come from a team? Like, let's say a player from the Cardinals goes up to Seattle, tests positive in Seattle. Um, the rest of the Cardinals fly back down to Arizona. Player X stays in Seattle. Does one of the Seahawks team doctors um, deal with him? Do you bring in another infectious disease specialist, or how does that work? Yeah, well, there is a network, actually, of, of medical care that we can uh, lean into to make sure that that player gets the care that he needs. So you guys have daily testing and a network of medical care. You want to run the country for a while? We can just push football off for a month. <laughs> See how that works? No, unsubscribe no. to that. Yeah, unsubscribe block. <laughs> um, Treader also talked about, and I'm just using center, so he's got you know guard on either side of him, tackles out yep. there, blocking any one of you know five defensive linemen and two linebackers. Here comes a safety on a blitz. He's got to pick that up. And yeah. And barking up. signals loud, loudly. Yes, exactly. Um, and the whole, you know, getting the ball from the quarter, you know, to the quarterback and the running back. And so Treader brought up the notion in that call about it could go from three to three real quick. Is there a, is there a number, like a number X you guys have in mind? If it gets to this point, we have to just cancel the season and that's where it is. Is, is that number in place? No, not yet. That's part of, that's part of what we're still working on. And, and that's part of the, that's one of the big questions we continue to, to not have a good answer on from the league. But things that's, that mean, look, it is a big issue. And again, we do have a little bit of, and that's why the daily testing is so important because if you test regularly, obviously the, the working theory is that you won't get to have an outbreak on the team. Right. Cause you can isolate before uh, it gets to, you know, plus three, four, five, six players. So at this point, the NFL is not giving you guidance on or proposed a number that would, you know, at this at this floor, we Threshold, have to right. shut it down. Right. There, there's uh, not. I don't think that that's been finalized yet, no. So let's say, okay, so put that aside, and that's disconcerting. Um, <laughs> are there provisions in place? So you, you, let's say there are, you know, minor outbreaks. 
minor being a really catastrophically relative term in this case, but let's say there are quote unquote minor outbreaks. Um, where are you guys in the NFL with the notion of satellite squads or, you know, how do you bring players up if you have to replace and, you know, you, you get like the Eagles receivers last year where you get, you know, injury, um, you know, just outbreaks, um, which, which can happen. But what, what would the provisions be if say, I don't know, 10% of a roster got it and had to be quarantined for two weeks. How do you replace those players? Yeah, I think that's a great question. Roster size, and including the question of roster sizes. What type, what, how big rosters do we have going into training camp? Those are operational questions still being worked out. Um, you know, as literally as we speak, calendar, what the calendar is going to look like, what the roster size is going to look like, what provisional squads are going to look like, what practice squads are going to look like. Um, all of those things are still being, um, actively discussed um, and and not yet finalized. I know I'm one of a number of calls you have today, so I'll uh, just have a couple more questions for you. Um, yep. In the wake of George Floyd's murder and everything else that's happened recently, NFL players are far more active in social justice matters. You know this. And it's a long way from what happened to Kaepernick and the handful of players I spoke to after what happened to Colin happened, and they basically said, I don't want to talk about social justice because I don't want what happened to Colin to happen to me. Um, why, why has this damn burst now? Why is it okay now? Why is the NFL, you know, doing passive aggressive mea culpas about what happened to Kaepernick now? Why, why now? Well, as I said to somebody, um, recently, 2020 might be the hardest year of many of our lives, but it also might be the most important. And I think the proverbial dam broke because while all of us are at home staring at the televisions, watching the news or consuming information content, and we saw a stretch of Breonna Taylor, Ahmaud Arbery, Karen in the park, and then George Floyd, I think that sequence um, given that, that we weren't going to work or didn't have our distractions or didn't have our sports, Americans were forced to watch with their eyes wide open. And I think that is a big reason why our country has had uh, an awakening. I think that's a big reason why our players who have been very active on um calling for police reform, voting rights, bail reform, be very specific. Like I'm being very specific deliberately because Mm -hmm. social justice is not just painting black lives matter on the street. Right. Um, It's, it's a movement of reform that players are, are, you know, have been behind uh, in one way or another. And by the way, before Kaepernick too. I mean, mm-hmm. there were players in, in St. Louis when the Rams were still there in the wake of Ferguson who came out and demonstrated with hands up, don't shoot. Yep. And our union supported those guys in the same way that we supported Colin. So we've been steadfast in, in our position on these issues. I just think this just happens to be the year. And there are years in American history where 
you know, sort of the lid has to blow off for, for people to sort of accept that they have to, they have to fight for it. Nobody's going to do this for them. Yeah. One other, one other factor, I agree with all that. One other factor, I think, I would think of the story of Trey Boston, who been one of the best got five deep safeties in the NFL over the last five years and got a series of one-year deals with multiple teams. Apparently he didn't work in any scheme. And then he comes out and tells a story a few months ago, how Jerry Richardson, you know, did Jerry Richardson things and saying, we don't want you protesting. (laughs) And it happened after that because it was around the time of Kaepernick. And I think one thing that's happened is players aren't in facilities. The owner can't just casually walk up to them and say, Hey boy, you can't do blah, blah, blah. Um, you know, these guys are sort of out on their own doing their own thing. And the owners are, you know, they're cooped up in their, you know, it's a nice coop up, but you're still, you know, you're, you're yeah. sheltering in place and that's the way it is. Yeah, it could be. But I also, the power, I mean, the, the power of the collective is yes. also not lost on our guys either. I think, you know, whether it's whether it's Michael Thomas or Malcolm Jenkins or or Demario Davis or any one of these guys who could have gone it alone. I think they've now figured out that solidarity matters. And the way that we can win and get these reforms and really, you know, go from a place of um Colin being blackballed to the changes that we're seeing in our own business is if players stick together. Yeah. Uh gonna finish with a couple of lightning round questions. Will Colin Kaepernick yeah, will Colin Kaepernick ever play in the NFL again? I hope so. I hope so. I want to see him come back. I hope he does. Will there be a week one and a Super Bowl in 2020? Well, 2021 for the Super Bowl, obviously. That's up to the coronavirus. Yeah. As is everything else. <laughs> Way to dodge it, George. <laughs> I mean, we're doing, yeah, hey, 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 fans, we're doing the best we can. That's, yeah. That was, yeah, some, we that, certainly that, want that to. That was a Clyde Edwards Hilaire juke you had. <laughs> <laughs> nice. No, we certainly, look, Doug, the reality is we certainly want to. The, the best way to get from point A to point B is not compromise on the protocols. Everybody do what they're supposed to do, and uh, you know, I'm 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 an optimist, you know, just by virtue of who I am and personally, so I am optimistic. George Itala, Assistant Executive Director of External Affairs for the NFLPA. You had to talk to you about shortening that name. Your business card must be like huge. It's as big as this iPad screen. There you go. <laughs> All right, man. Thanks so much for doing this. Really appreciate. Thanks, it. Doug. Appreciate you very much.